0: The Lord is with you. Lift up your hearts. Grace and peace to you. On behalf of Dean Robert Allen Hill and the Marsh Chapel community, as we are a gathered congregation, present at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, present present through New England through National Public Radio, WBUR 90.9 FM. Present through the webcast live at wbur.org and through the podcast at bu.edu forward slash chapel. On this last Sunday in our annual summer preaching series, we are very pleased to welcome to our pulpit the Reverend Dr. Philip A. Amerson. Reverend Dr. Amerson serves as president of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. It's one of the 13 United Methodist seminaries in the United States. He also holds the title of Professor of the Sociology of Religion. As an ordained elder of the United Methodist Church, Dr. Amerson also served as a pastor for 21 years. Our appreciation, prayers, and best wishes to our colleagues at Garrett Evangelical as we welcome Phil and his wife Elaine to our midst. Dean Hill sends his particular regards as he is away, and we look forward to Dean Hill's return later in August. As always, we encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your selection of personal forms of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. So now, beloved, rise up now and at this invitation throughout the service in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, in the praise and worship of God.
1: Oh, the bondage,
0: to us, Lord, we pray, the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we, who cannot exist without you, may by you be enabled to live according to your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. During the singing of the Kyrie, we are invited to a time of acknowledgement and confession of those things which separate us from our love of God, from our love of self, and from our love of neighbor. beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
2: A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
0: And now let us say responsively verses from Psalm 33 with the antiphon. is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army, a warlord is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And now rise up for the singing of the Gloria Deo and the reading
1: of the Gospel.
3: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. Glory to you, Lord. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are these slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have come, he would have let his house, he would not have let his house be broken into You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. It is my joy to be with you today. And let me express my appreciation to Dr. Hill for this invitation. I've known Bob and Jan for many years, so if you would like to have any uh, stories on them, please see me after the service. I also want to thank uh, Ray Bouchard and Victoria Gaskell for their kind hospitality today. As Elaine and I were leaving the Chicago area, we rode for several miles along Dempster Avenue. It's a major traffic artery that stretches from the lake out west to the cornfields. John Dempster was, of course, the leader of a fledgling Methodist school that later became Boston University School of Theology. And that very same John Dempster became Garrett Biblical Institute's first president in 1854. So our two schools share an ancestry, and I suspect much of the same theological DNA. So it's good to come and visit the mothership, and I bring you greetings from the wild, wild frontier of Chicago. Would you join me as we pray together? Creator of life, remind us anew of your invitation to live boldly through the mystery of the present and into your promised future. Forgive our presumptions when we despair by setting limits on our actions or your grace. Renew us in hope and free our strength to your purposes. Amen. How can it be to our advantage that Christ has left the earth? Dr. George Buttrick asked this question at the beginning of a sermon preached only a short distance from this chapel nearly 50 years ago. It is a good question, one that pushes theologians to consider matters of deity in the future, or in Theo talk, Christology and eschatology. This question is quite apt to our scripture for today. How do we behave in the middle of an unfinished story? How might God surprise us yet again? And how are things changed after being surprised by grace? My son occasionally sends me questions he finds amusing. You'll need to understand that our senses of humor are, well, slightly out of plumb. For instance, he recently sent me this query. Dad, he wrote, what if there are no hypothetical questions? You have to think about it. Others he has sent include, what was the best thing before sliced bread? And... This one I like. If you try to fail but succeed, which have you done? Recently, I came across questions used in the admissions process at the Oxbridge schools. Among them was, how would you organize a successful revolution? This seemed to be a good question for me to bring to Boston. And there was also this one. Given the the current political climate, why not let the managers of IKEA run the country instead of the politicians? Other questions of the applicants to Oxford or Cambridge were, would you rather be a novel or a poet? Or how many monkeys would you use in an experiment? Or if you were a great grape, fruit, would you be seedless or non-seedless? Well, I appreciate Dr. Buttrick's question even more when I came across it a few weeks ago. How can it be to our advantage that Christ has left the earth? Luke's gospel lesson today provides a subset of questions to this larger one. Questions like, what are you doing waiting here? Where is your treasure anyway? And are you prepared for the unexpected hour? My friend, friend Faye, asked me a similar question, although more piercing when she asked, where the hell is God in all of this? I will get to Fay's story a little later. John Dempster headed west. He was home on leave from Argentina in the early 1940s. He was preparing to return to Latin America to head a school there when he was asked to lead a theology school in New England. He was surprised to be asked to be a leader in Methodist theological education. You see, he had been orphaned at an early age and had little formal education. The invitation came unexpectedly. At first he said no, he declined. Yet this call to a new vocation persisted with him. In terms of Luke's gospel, he had been preparing all along. He was ready He served as president of Methodist Biblical Institute, the antecedent to Boston University School of Theology, for six years. Then again, an unexpected request. And he headed west, to Illinois. In my mind's eye, I can see him moving, along with those flinty-eyed free soilers who were part of the radical abolitionist movement. They were on their way to claim land and to farm, but more eager to vote, to make or keep a state a free state. Dempster was pressing forward with his call for an educated clergy. John Dempster's deep piety was matched by a commitment to justice. In 1862, one day before the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, Dimster met with President Lincoln and urged him to sign such a document. Dimster kept moving, kept pressing. He left for Illinois in 18... He left Illinois in 1863 with the expectation of setting up more seminaries, one in the Rockies and one in California. Sadly, he died an untimely death on this journey, but his dream of establishing other seminaries was soon enough accomplished by his apprentices. During these same years of the American Civil War, as it was gruesomely unfolding, a writer named Charles Dickens decided to save his magazine all year round by writing a novel presented in weekly serial format. That story was called great expectations. What Dickens wrote in 1862 has now required reading for most high school students. You know it, the young Pip, his expectations to become a gentleman of great wealth, his dreams of marrying Estella. You remember the eccentric Miss Havisham and the treacherous Magwitch. Dickens puts the human hunger for social rank and success on trial, he puts society in the dock and finds that we are too typically unable to accept the decency or the redeeming love of others thought to be beneath us. Pip's great expectations for success and privilege were counterproductive. He is learning the painful truth behind the gospel text for today. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. At each opportunity, he arrives with a set of problems or a tragedy as well, and Pip becomes all the more miserable. And what of us? What is our hope? A wise friend once taught me the difference between expectations and expectancy To have expectations is to presume you might control what would happen. What we expect is shaped by our greatest desires or fears. Living with expectancy, on the other hand, means one lives on the tiptoes of hope, bringing our best gifts to events as they unfold, even when faced with tragedy. Benjamin Disraeli said, What we anticipate seldom occurs what we least expect generally happens. On Easter Sunday, 2010, I suspect that none of us in this room knew what a deep water horizon was. And today, these two words represent human greed and deceit. (coughs) As this environmental crisis went unaddressed, choices were open either moving with expectations or a new expectancy. Some expected a quick fix so that ample fuel could be provided to continue this nation's insatiable joyride to prosperity. Some feared the sight of the ugly backside of environmental abuses might cause us to question our addictions. Did we stop to ask, what do we treasure most? And all through these short months, the astonishing gap between the wealthy and the poor in our society continued to widen. Over the past three decades, we have regressed to levels of income disparity not seen for more than a century in this nation. In Luke's gospel, we have a story of great expectancy. The instructions given to the servants waiting for the return of the master are crisp and concise. Be dressed for actions. Have your lamps at the ready. Servants, prepare. But for what? Well, prepare for the return of your master. And what will happen when he returns? Uh, Here is an astonishing scripture. This parable is also structured as a beatitude. It is blessed are those who are prepared or happy are those who are prepared for they will be surprised. Did you hear the surprise? There is a role reversal. The master takes the position of servant and serves the servants. The climax to this parable is so shocking It is introduced by a seldom used phrase, amen, I say to you. And here it introduces this stunning reversal in roles. Expectancy opens to the space of what God is doing with and for all people. Expectations have the power to limit and shape our understandings. The old axiom, what we believe to be real becomes real in its consequences merits our attention. But I am not speaking here of self-fulfilling prophecy only. This is about one's very stance toward life and its possibilities. Gary Dorsey tells of spending 18 months in a rather traditional New England congregation. He'd come as a journalist, and only that. Then the unexpected happened. His life changed. Spending a year in a church as a journalist, he watched the liturgical year progress, and he discovered his place in the larger scheme of things. He writes, this is what I tell people now. If you ever decide to go back to church, even despite yourself, you will eventually find yourself in a place where you can learn about mystery and timelessness. You will become part of a tradition of stories and verses and gossip greater than you can imagine. With a carnival of small time saints whose tales and homespun customs marshal wisdom out of a religious calendar, you will become a character too, and a player in the cast. Well, Dr. Buttrick answered his question of how we might take advantage of the Messiah's delay by suggesting that this waiting allows us to see more clearly, to know God beyond the limits of time and space, so that we might grow to be free to discover our own strengths. I couldn't help but think of Frederick Beekner Before coming to Boston, when Buttrick was still a pastor in New York, One day, a young man named Beekner sat in the pews of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church and heard George Buttrick describing the kingdom of God as an experience involving tears, laughter, and great confession. As Beekner says, All of a sudden, through this sermon, it was as if the Great Wall of China came tumbling down and Atlantis came up out of the depths of the sea. It was one of those incredible moments when God genuinely happens to a human being. Beekner attended Union Seminary in New York and says he found there two things that surprised him. First of all, he was amazed by the earthiness earthiness and honesty of the scripture. Second, What was even more striking was that this biblical story had interlaced through it a recurring theme from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And what was this continuing motif? It is that the worst things are never the last things. This God who had a thousand names was continually acting in unexpected ways. Then, waiting for our response. Chicago's own theologian poet, Father John Shea, puts it this way, at the center of our best efforts, we discover our worst motives. Our perfect plot fails, and their sloppiest plan succeeds. In single-minded pursuit of one goal, we blithely achieve the opposite. In these moments and many more, we are are thrown back on ourselves. More precisely, we are thrown back into the mystery we share with one another. This moment is a trigger moment of awareness to a more, a presence, an encompassing, a whole within which we come and go. This awareness of an inescapable relatedness to mystery does not wait for a polite introduction. It bursts unbidden upon our ordinary routine, demands total attention, and insists on dialogue. At these times, we may scream or laugh or dance or cry or sing or fall silent, but whatever our response, it is raw prayer the returning human impulse to the touch of God. Think of the story of Jacob and Joseph, Naomi and Ruth, Simon, Peter, or think of Jesus. John Claypool says it this way, the loveliest truth I know is that God lives at the end of our ropes. He notes the familiar aphorism, as long as there's life, there's hope, may carry an even deeper truth if we consider the converse, as long as there is hope, there is life. My friend Faye asked her question of me more than once. You remember that question? Where the hell is God in all this? She was a longtime member of the parish where I served. She had struggled with deep depression following her husband's long and horrible struggle with cancer. I encouraged Faye to seek help for her depression, and she also joined our Wednesday morning healing group. Now, we were Methodists. We didn't have healing rituals we knew about. We weren't Pentecostal and we didn't know about the anointing in the Roman Catholic or the Anglican churches. So we've struggled to find a Methodist way. So each Wednesday at the close of our group, we would sit in a circle and with a vial of oil, we would simply say to the person next to us, and what can I pray with you about this next week? Months turned into years for Faye. Slowly, she began to play the violin again. Slowly, she would share a meal with a friend. However, she still struggled with her question. One week, when it came time to pray during this healing group, I happened to be seated next to Faye. And I turned to her with the oil in my hand, and I said, and Faye, what can I pray with you about For the week to come, she stuttered. She was about to deliver one of the most powerful malapropisms I have ever heard. She answered, "Please pray that that well pray that my strength will be faithened." She got her words all twisted around, but she got her theology right. In that moment, I watched her face slip into a wry smile. Within days, I heard her laughing. And shortly thereafter, she surprised me with a new question. She said, And what do I do with this God now? How would you answer her question?
4: be seated. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, I invite you to follow your tradition and stand, sit, or kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together the call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord, Hymn 473. Father, mighty one, you are our help and shield. Our hearts are glad in the Lord for we trust in his holy name. We are sure that you are the one true God and we are certain of your promise of salvation. But even as we profess our faith, we admit that there are times when we have had more faith in the rituals of religious life than in you, the living God. We pay more attention to outward expressions than to inward faith. Father, we ask that you help us to grow in faith. We confess that we have not loved you, loved as you have taught us, and we have strayed from the path of peace. We pray for your forgiveness and appeal to you to heal the afflictions of our hearts. We ask this with the confidence that if we are willing and obedient, you will forgive and remove our sins. We are grateful that we are free to worship you publicly. We are also thankful for the technology that enables us to worship together with our virtual congregation, separated by time as well as space. As we thank you, we are mindful of those who are prevented from worshiping you freely. Have mercy on them, dear Lord. Grant them the peace of your presence in their silent worship. We pray for military members and first responders. Thank you for the selfless sacrifices they make in their service to others. We recognize that some are wounded mentally as well as physically by their experiences. Father, provide solace to them and their loved ones. We pray for our country's leaders as well as the leaders throughout the world. Touch their hearts and renew their spirits to work together to make progress towards peace. Bless the sick and those in mourning. We pray that our faith moves us to show compassion and provide assistance to those in need, whether it be for food, shelter, employment, or a warm smile, encouragement, and forgiveness. Give strength and courage to those in the shadow of death. Precious Lord, lead us, guide us, Hear our prayers, for we offer them in your holy name. Amen. And now we pray together as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but lead us for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever
0: The peace of the Lord is always with you, and also with you. We are glad to be together in worship this Sunday, and we uh, invite you to help us to get to know you better and help you to know each other better by signing the red books, which you will find on the center aisle end of the pew. Please sign the books and pass them along. When they get to the end of the pew, please pass them back and take a look who is sitting with you so that you might greet them and enjoy them after the service. It is hard to believe, but the end of summer and the start of a new academic year is soon coming. And events are being added to the Marsh Chapel calendar almost daily, both for the end of summer and for the new academic year. Uh, We can all keep up by visiting the website, which is at bu.edu forward slash chapel. So we invite you to take a look and see what is of particular interest for you. There is also an opportunity there for online giving. And last but certainly not least, we are all invited to coffee hour on the lower level of the chapel. So please do come and join us for good company, good food, and good conversation. And now the ushers will wait upon us for our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings.
1: God, who has blessed in abundance our forebears in the faith, bless and multiply these gifts and offerings which have been given, and let our treasure lie with you, O God. This we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, through the power of our Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Amen.
3: now may you go in peace as we are reminded of the God of a thousand names, who continues to stretch the story in a way that teaches us that the worst thing is never the last thing. In the name of the Creator and the Redeemer and the Sanctifying Spirit, Amen.